Hey, it's Chris Urban. Welcome to the Triple Clicks Video Game Marketing Podcast. I had a fun opportunity to sit down with one of the biggest fans of the gaming industry who also works in it, Scott Porter. Some people know Scott from his acting roles on Friday Night Lights, Speed Racer, or The Heart of Dixie. But gamers will know him as Peter Quill in Telltale Games, Guardians of the Galaxy, Aquaman in the Lego games, or more recently as Colt Cruz in Madden NFL's award-winning Longshot. We caught up at E3 and talked about how a kid from Nebraska broke into Hollywood, how he got his big opportunity on Friday Night Lights, his experience working with my old team on Longshot, and why he thinks Solo is better than Rogue One. Spoiler alert, it's not. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Scott Porter, actor, voice talent for the video game industry. (laughs) Thanks for coming up here and doing this. Uh, E3, we always hang out. Uh, You're usually busy during the rest of the year, but uh, thanks for taking the time. No, we see each other a couple of times a year, man. We do. I get you to come to my office and we argue about Star Wars movies. We do. We do. Solo is still fantastic, regardless of what you think. I do not disagree with that. I just, the fact that you don't understand which one the best Star Wars movies is. (laughs) You know, that Rogue One, we could could do a whole Rogue One podcast and I could explain why that's the best Star Wars movie if you want. We've been through this. Rogue One, by far. You are very deep into the video game culture and nerd culture. You did a ton of things with a ton of my friends, so I want to jump into this stuff. You're from Nebraska, first off. How'd you end up in Florida? Uh, yeah, so my uh, growing up in Nebraska, it was interesting. Um, whereas people on the East Coast, the West Coast, they, you know, hip hop was more accessible, kung fu movies, you know, they felt a little more. Uh, mainstream than they you know were in like the 80s and um, video games definitely in Nebraska at the time were looked down upon mm. uh, I had a comic shop that I'd go to Dungeons and Dragons it was just the name of this the store they never got hit with a cease and desist I was you know? about to say and uh, no no sorry Dragon's Lair that was the name of the store still oh yeah that's another one <laughs> never got hit with a, uh, uh, a cease and desist but you know I was into comic books video games hip-hop Big Trouble in Little China was on repeat mm. in my house. Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. You know, I had an older foster brother who was in all that stuff. And uh, he loved tagging, which, like, nobody did in Omaha at, at the time. So he would go and just paint these huge murals under bridges. And it just all felt so cool and so unique and so my own. Um, just for a little kid in the Midwest. Sure. And so then my... Uh, my grandfather retired from the Air Force and swore that he was not going to spend another winter anywhere cold. They moved to Phoenix for a couple of years. My uncle got stationed in Florida, and uh, my grandparents decided to move down there. And once two-thirds or three-fourths of the family was all down there, sure. we headed down and we followed. Uh, my folks took me, and, and then I went to the, the end of middle school and high school in Florida. Okay, high school. Winter, uh, winter Park? Winter Park, Florida, yeah. That's where, I, so I, when I moved to EA, I left from Seattle and I landed in Winter Park. Was we were Tiburon was right there, so you know the space there. EA, so. Tiburon, good old right. EA, Maitland? Uh, in Maitland, I moved to, I didn't know the area so well, so I, I moved right to the neighborhood where you lived in. I rented a house there and then I ended up over by UCF, uh, down by that McDonald's and the housing complex down there in uh, Waterford Lakes. So That Waterford Lakes area is now in huge yeah it's just so incredibly big UCF's the second or third largest college people wise yeah it's like 116,000 enrolled students yeah 
Crazy. So you so you played football in high school, receiver. Yep. Moved to UCF. What did you do at UCF? I know you did. Invited walk on. Okay. Uh, played football at UCF. Coach Mike Kruzek was there. Um, didn't stick with it. Um, ben Hawmiller actually, who works at EA Sports, was very I don't good know friend. if he was there when Tiburon was still on yeah. the building, but yeah, he ben. started out as a as a tester, a quality, a QA guy, yeah. right? No, nah, he moved his way up. He's he's high on the Madden ranks now. How does that? How did that guy play football? I know Ben played there, so he I was guess. a left tackle man. And <laughs> his mom, Carrie Hawmiller, man, she would she would make a mean pasta on a Thursday night. We'd go to Ben's <laughs> house and carb load. That's awesome. And Larry, yeah. you know, we had some good people on. We had Larry Legend. Uh, that worked on the Madden team, who was the backup quarterback in Florida with some national championship rings. Really good dude. So, Dang, that's awesome. Yeah, we had some we had some good people on that squad. Yeah, but man, throughout high school, man, it was a uh, again, it was even then, my circle of friends was so varied because I played football, but I was also in chorus. I was the only football player at Lake Howell High School to ever sing the national anthem holding his helmet under his arm while he's oh, got his awesome. pads on. My coach, Mike Bachelia, he hated it. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was missing, I was a starting wideout. I was, sure. I was, you know, my senior year had like 800 yards receiving. He was. We wasted your time doing that, son. Get over here. Not happy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not happy that I was singing. But then I was also into comic books too, and you know, it was just video games. I'd stay up super late. PlayStation One was out, and you know, I was on everything at the time. Everything was PlayStation back then. Sure. I played everything. Suck it in. Final Fantasy. You make like sure you big, get into Xbox and you big JRPGs. <laughs> I mean, um, but that was that, you know. That, yeah. And then going into college, um, well, Xbox dropped when I was in college. That yeah. was yeah, that was a whole different thing. And I was in an acapella group at the time because I kept on singing. Yeah. Uh, I knew very quickly football wasn't my future. Sure. And uh, we didn't have a drama department in my high school, so I never had a chance to do theater. My mom and dad met in a rock band. My dad's a drummer. Mom's a singer. And so I got into the business beatboxing. Hmm. Uh, you know, just learned how to do drums with my mouth. There yeah. was a DJ Ready Rock uh, C was uh, was Will Smith when he was the Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff's. Uh, mm-hmm. He was there. We're the same age. Uh, yeah, that, that was that was the thing. Well, he did a song called Human Video Game. And Will Smith's talking about being addicted to the arcade and having all these rolls of quarters and waiting outside, like scratching, you know, like just itching like he's like, yeah. you know, like an addict and waiting to get into the arcade just so he could play more Donkey Kong. Like, you know, just waiting, waiting, waiting. And so Ready Roxy is underneath him doing all the music from Donkey Kong, just beatboxing it. And I thought that was amazing. So I had a Fisher Price boombox as a kid and I taught myself how to how to beatbox on this Fisher Price boombox with a microphone and uh so when I got into college, I was in an acapella group. I was a beatboxer. Realized very quickly football wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Thought entertaining could be. Yeah. At that time, Xbox came out, and we had five guys in the group. And when you played Halo, you could only have four guys on a screen at once. So whoever got the least amount of kills had to sit out the next round. That's awesome. Nobody ever wanted to sit out. Yeah. And in fact, like the guy that was worst at the game was like, listen... If you win five in a row, you have to also Change, sit out. But like changing no, the rules, no way, bro. <laughs> we took that Xbox everywhere with us on tour. We won Star Search at one point. Um, you know, yeah, how did you how did you get deal. into entertainment? So what? So yeah. your creative skills. You didn't do drama, but you got the acapella. You've done singing. I've seen some of the stuff you've you you've on some soundtracks. You've done that stuff. How did you evolve into the into the TV and movie space? Well, I uh, I kept on beatboxing. Had a group at the time. They were called Four Two Five. Now they're called Voice Play. They've got a huge following on uh, YouTube. If you've never seen their videos, they're incredible. 
they did like Panic at the Disco in four minutes or, you know, they did this big Moana video and that Moana video like has millions and millions of views. Did an acapella version of Sia's Chandelier. These guys are uber talented. We all went to high school together and uh, I got an opportunity to go sing by myself in Japan. So I moved to Japan for a year. When I came back, um, the band had kind of moved on without me and I got an offer to go to New York and beatbox in an off-Broadway show called Toxic Audio. The tagline was exploring the boundaries of the human voice. And, uh, you know, it was, it was everything from... Like drums or... Like guitar, um, muted trumpets... Like, uh, we would do Christmas songs sometimes, you know, around the holidays. And, you know, if you listen really closely, sometimes, you know, Santa's sleigh is like way off in the distance and it sounds like this. You know, jingle yeah. bells, like sleigh bells in the background. So I was just doing weird stuff. I was an only child till I was 15. Awesome. So I just spent a lot of time doing that. And they needed somebody who could beatbox and sing and dance. And they hired me to go up to New York and swing the show. And that led to me being in an off-Broadway musical called Alter Boys about a struggling Christian boy band. It was a musical comedy. It was hilarious. And uh, that thing became a hit. Got an agent. And uh, when I auditioned for Alter Boys, I didn't have a headshot. I didn't know what sides were. I had to read these scenes. I had no idea. I didn't have a... Uh, Broadway actors have a book like that they carry around with them everywhere with like you know, 40 songs that they know or that they can, like, at the drop of a hat sing. Yeah. I didn't know anything about theater. It just wasn't my background. So I didn't know better in the middle of my audition without a headshot, without a songbook. I just walked up to one of the female producers, starts stroking her hair in the middle of, like, this love <laughs> song that I'm singing called Something About You. And there was something about, you know, just the naivete, just, like, sure, the, how courageous you can be when you don't know what the hell you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And they offered me the role that day. And awesome. uh, on our second week of previews, I signed with uh, with an agency that I've been with ever since. 14 years now with Gersh Agency. That's awesome. And a kid from Nebraska moving to Florida, Tokyo, New York. You were, you were out. You were a free spirit then. You were, you were ready to go. Yeah, I lived life back then. I wish I could live life now the way I lived life back then. Because I told myself, just say yes. Yeah. Just say yes. What's the worst that can happen? You, you keep on saying yes, and you get an opportunity. And even if it turns out to be something that doesn't quite work out, you've learned what, what you shouldn't be doing. You've learned what doesn't work. And that was just as, as important, especially when you're that age, is, is learning what works. You know, learning what doesn't work is almost more important, yeah. you know, for me. So... It's a yeah, great, it's a great it's, it's a great thought because it's true about everybody now. Like, who cares? Like, but, you get to a certain age, and you're like, like now I'm like I could care less what people think, or I don't care. Like I'm literally going to do my shit. So see, like, I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, it's amazing. Like you're you're you have a you're working on a brand. I'm not a brand. I'm well, just, no, you know, I, I got I just, a little I, thing, and I'm doing my stuff. And you, you've got a thing. You've got a lot of other things and eyeballs, and you're thinking about that. And nobody cares what I'm doing. So. You know, and I don't care what they think. So it's you'll get to my level one day when you're super old, and you're like, all right, I'm just gonna do whatever. And stay. <laughs> well, I've got two kids now, and so I feel like a responsibility to them that maybe I can't just do everything now. So yeah. I'm trying I just to get bring them back, with though. me when I do everything. My kids are like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just following dad around. So. Hey, that's awesome, man. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> I hope I could get there again though, because I feel like a lot of good things come your way when you're doing that. It's when you start to hold yourself to a different level or 
think that you should be doing more than what's coming your way is, is when you get in trouble. And, uh, you know, it's been a couple of we- a couple of years since I've done like consistent work, you know, I've done projects here and there and, and everything, but, uh, trying to say yes more again, I yeah, think, I think you say yes and say yes and say yes. And then you have success and you get scared to lose that. And, and you stop saying yes as much when you should just keep on barreling through. Yeah. Well, that's um, great. But yeah, so I signed with Gersh. My first pilot season came along. Uh, it was down to me and one other guy for Tarzan on Broadway. Uh, he ended up booking it. They offered me lead understudy and lead ensemble. And I told him I wanted an out for television for pilot season. And I was told by the vice president of Disney Theatricals at the time, we'll teach you how to really own a stage. We know you've been a lead in a little off-Broadway show, but that's nothing compared to what Disney does. And there's some truth to that, I guess. But it was the next line that really pissed me off. He goes, what do you want to do on, a, on TV anyway? What do you think you're really going to do? Be fourth handsome guy from the left on some WB show? <laughs> Why would you choose that over, over, over being able to go on as Tarzan on Broadway? Now, it pissed me off, man. It's a challenge. Yeah. So I went in, you know, I was, I had a chip on my shoulder, went in my first pilot season, passed on like eight different pilots. My agent calls me. She's like, what the f- are you doing <laughs> right now? This is your first pilot season. You go out for anything I send you on. I was like, okay, yes, ma'am. Red Friday Night Lights and knew immediately. This is not fourth handsome guy from the left. Yeah. This is a, a show that is worth doing. Ripped a scene that they weren't even auditioning with out, out of the script went into the casting director's office. I was like, hey, I think you're doing the wrong scenes. I, I want to do this scene for the audition. He shut the camera off, looked at me and goes, have you ever done a pre-read? I was like, what's that? He goes, it's where I shut this camera off, let you do what you want to do and tell you if you're good enough for me to turn it back on. Hmm. Stephen O'Neill, he's a brilliant casting agent yeah. in New York. He's awesome. And uh, ended up working out. Peter Berg was our executive producer. He was... You know, anecdotally on his side, he's told me this before, he was sitting there, head down, kind of all these tapes are coming in from New York. He's based in L.A., you know, you know how it is. You're watching tapes. Yeah, Peter's huge. Yeah, but when you start watching taped auditions, I imagine you check out sometimes, and all of a sudden he heard a different scene come on. He was like, who's that kid? I like the balls on that kid. Get him out here. And I flew out to L.A. and booked Friday Night Lights. It was my first pilot season. It was my eighth, eighth pilot I ever read. The third pilot I ever went out on, and I just was like really fortunate. Huge role, forty-two episodes total, something like that as an arc. What was it like on the set? Your first, I mean, that's a big one. I saw you did a little bit of a little bit of soap opera and some some small things, but what was that like on the? I mean, that thing was that was a juggernaut book before the series, um, and so there was a lot of expectations, I assume, on that series when it when it was starting to come. You know, the movie had been out as well. Uh, with Lucas Black and uh, Derek Luke and Billy Bob Thornton and Connie Britton, who was actually in both projects. Uh, And uh, I had seen that movie probably four or five times in the theater. When I played football in high school, we were at a school who had had one or two successful years in their entire history in in football. Um, They had a guy named Marquette Smith, who was a great running back, was a top 10 recruit. Um... He ended up going to North Carolina, I believe. But uh, long story short, too late. We came out of nowhere and won our division two years in a row. We went to the state quarterfinals and the state semifinals in Florida, which outside of Texas probably is the best football in the country. 
and sometimes better than Texas. I know that's you know blasphemous to say to Texans, but mm-hmm. Miami Northwestern has gone into Dallas and and put it to sure any Texas team that they stood in front of, and uh, you know. My senior year, we were in a three-way round robin to decide the division championship. Give you the ball at the 10 against one opponent. You've got four plays to score. If you don't do it, you lose that round. They play the next guy, and you know that's how we decided. It was a Monday night. And uh, fourth and nine, I catch a touchdown. I send us to the playoffs. We ultimately go and lose to Emmett Smith's nephew and uh, – in the state semifinals. And so I had this like hero moment, like get carried off the field type of thing, you know? Sure. And, and so, so when I saw Friday film, night lights, yeah. I mean, I also cried after we lost on the field. It was like me and the other seniors on our final game, Pensacola, Scambia, I'll never forget. And just like collapsing on the field and just crying. This is, we're never going to do that again. This giddy up is never going again, you know? And yeah. it's just watching Friday night lights. The movie was just like, Oh my God. I had to call all my buddies up, Ben, all those guys, try and get as many of them and go see it as possible. Because at, at that point, I was in the entertainment industry. I was doing, I was working at Disney World, singing and dancing. And so none of those people understood what Friday Night Lights was. So I was calling yeah. friends from years and years ago, and you know we're going in and watching it. So I knew how special it was and how special it was going to be. And uh, two days before he starts shooting, I get a call from the uh, first AD, Casey Holdenfeld, and uh, he's like, Oh my God, Scott, I can't believe we haven't asked you. Can you throw a football? I was like, yeah, man, I got you. I got you. We had two weeks with the uh, quarterbacks coach from Compton Community College down with us, teaching all the people like me and uh, Zach Guilford and a couple of the guys who were going to be handling the ball, like how to properly throw. We went through a, like a two week quarterback mini camp. Yeah. And then I immediately had to start, you know, spoiler alert, my character gets uh, catastrophically injured in the first episode. Mm hmm. Um, deals with paralysis and becomes a quadriplegic. And so at that point, that's when I started getting nervous because I had to really, I studied, I had a, a technical advisor who was an occupational therapist. I spent a lot of time in hospital wards, uh, one with a young man who was a pro bull rider. He just gotten his uh, pro bull riding card and in his first ever event got bucked in the pin, caught his neck between two metal bars and broke his neck. And so I was talking to this 19 year old kid. Yeah. And spent a lot of time with him and uh, learning a lot. And Jason Kadams, who was our showrunner and writer, and Peter Berg and Jeffrey Reiner were the guys in charge. And they just made sure that we did a uh, an honest job of, of showing what that struggle really is. We tried to do it with integrity. And... Uh, and I, I think we, I think we did it with Jason Street, but it was a big deal, man. Yeah. It was a big deal. It was spectacular. I mean, the the show was good. You were great. I mean, the show was so good. So, it, you know, I was always interested to like. That's when we first met. I was excited to talk about that as a fan, just to see how that how that experience went. Because you were a quarterback, you're a football player, but you're playing a different role is is the big thing, and the challenge is crazy. Man, I had a lot of video games got me through a lot of that time, uh, <laughs> because once I get injured. All the kids are shooting all their scenes together, and I'm by myself in a hospital bed when I'm working. And when I'm not working, everybody else is working. And we were, we all moved to Austin for that project. Nobody was at home in Austin. Nobody lived there. Nobody was cast from that city. And I was lonely, man. It was a, it was a tough time. And cool. I had a wheelchair in my apartment, and I was, like, trying to, like, I don't know what – I didn't know what method was. I don't know any of this stuff. I didn't go to drama school. I didn't have a theater program in high school. And I went to, I went to college to be a structural engineer. So I was – 
I was battling bouts of homesickness and, and a little bit of, I think, self-inflicted, self-inflicted depression a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, until I figured out my footing and, and realized, you know, I can't bring that character home with me and started kind yeah. of smiling and being a little lighter. But, yeah, it was just playing that role. I felt a lot of responsibility. But that show is fantastic because of the trust between the entire team. And mm-hmm. Pete and Jason and Jeffrey were all so brilliant. And Nan Bernstein and, and then Connie and Kyle are the greatest married couple you'll ever see on any television sure. show ever. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Was it easier after season one kind of debuted and you knew you had some success there? Or how did you, did you film that in seasons? How did you film it? We got canceled after season one. The fans sent in light bulbs to GE, who was a parent company of NBC, uh, eco-safe, eco-friendly light bulbs that said, keep the lights on. They brought us back for season two. Rider strike hit in season Mm -hmm. two. We got canceled again. Uh, DirecTV stepped in and said they loved the show so much that they'd, they'd pony up half of the cost if they could get a window of exclusivity, which is very the relevant. Audience, ne- and, audience you know, network for them? Yeah, on the audience network. Yeah. At the time, it was called The 101. Okay. So they got to air it, and then we'd have to wait nine months before we could put it on. That's why Friday Night Lights became a summer show uh, on its final three seasons on NBC. Gotcha. But that was the first of its kind. That deal yeah. was the first of its kind. Two... two Forces coming together to save a television show and then a show switching networks. That had never happened before that. Now it happens all the time. You see, Netflix stepped in and saved Lucifer last year. Or yeah. Subway you know. Subway did that for uh, Chuck on NBC. We were doing a lot of stuff with Zach Levi and Chuck, and I think the Subway got them an extra season. And, and but it stayed on NBC. Yeah. I yeah, mean, as opposed to around. like now you see shows switch networks. It's yeah. nuts. Yeah, it's so crazy. that's you know, basically what we did. After they did that with us, they did it for damages. There was a show called Damages mm-hmm. with uh, Glenn Close and Rose, Rose Byrne. Mm-hmm. Was it Glenn Close and Rose Byrne? I think so. But uh, yeah, but they saved that show. And then now it's commonplace. You see a show gets canceled. You're all right. Hey, 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 let's, let's Brooklyn petition moved and, yeah. to Fox. I mean, from yeah. Fox to NBC. I mean, it's just like the, the fact that shows are jumping major broadcast networks is Struggling insanity. to figure out the digital, the yeah. digital landscape. We need right. content. They got to right. figure it out. We need partnerships. You did a, you are, you are on Heart of Dixie for a, you had a long arc <laughs> on that. I used, I, great show. People love that show. I was a legendary and I would get so mad because you guys would take over the WB lot and I had to move my car like 500 times. So I used to get frustrated with uh, when you guys would shoot that stuff during the day. That was an awesome thing because we never left the Warner Brothers lot except for once. Ever. Our entire run and that's yeah. unheard of for a television show we shot everything on that lot yeah again just had a team of people that were just so brilliant and and what they could do they they made the warner brothers lot feel like alabama yeah we shot the pilot in wilmington north carolina subbing that in for atlanta had some had some little slates of like you know the coast the gulf coast area of alabama and then we just shot everything on the warner's lot did you love that i loved that lot my office was literally on the lot i was in the building uh, by the legendary was under the water tower and I was on the other side by the water tower gate and I always every day I walked that lot I felt super special like that's a really sacred place how did you feel shooting there like I was I was doing marketing there you were you were actually producing so my mom I'm going to take us on another tangent which is my like specialty tangential speaking <laughs> my grandfather Bob Fraley um, my, my mom's dad he worked in the film industry um she would spend time with her, her dad in California and then her mom in Texas, go back and forth a little bit. And he worked as a teamster, a transpo guy. And he worked 
on the Burbank lot before it became Warner Brothers. Mm. It's the same lot. It was just called by a different name. Yeah. He worked on Dukes of Hazard, uh, Rockford, Rockford Files. He looked a lot like James Garner, Jimmy Garner. Mm. He became Jimmy Garner's really good friend and stand-in, actually. Uh, did a little bit of stunts, lived next to Clint Eastwood's stunt guy, worked on a bunch of Clint Eastwood wood films. I have all these signed uh, 8x10s from, like, Clint or the Dukes, and, like, which is crazy. The town square we shot in was the same town square as Dukes of Hazard. The guy that ran our transport department, Marlo, worked with my grandfather. Hmm. In this big old world where I was born in Nebraska, lived all these places, I end up working on Heart of Dixie on the Warner Brothers lot where my, my grandfather who passed away at 50 years old when I was five. Um, I didn't really get to know him. and uh, I got to know him in a completely sure. different way by working on that lot, working with people who knew him. They, people loved my grandpa. And that made me feel just it's awesome. really, really great. So for me, working on the Warner Brothers lot, which I think for most people is, first of all, you're like, I'm here. Like, we've made it. Like, yeah. you know, this is amazing. It also had this very sentimental meaning to me. And the fact that we never left also made it so easy. You should have seen my trailer, bro. <laughs> I had an Xbox in there. I brought my own TV from home. I had like a 48-inch in the trailer with an Xbox. They ran, they ran wire all the way out, because we were in a parking lot in the backside of the lot. Yeah. They ran, like, they must have run 220 feet of Cat 5 out to the trailer so that we could have not just Wi-Fi, but actual yeah. hard lines so that I could jump on and I could play, That's awesome. you know, Halo or whatever. The Star Trailers. Yo, it That's was awesome. it was awesome. I had all these memorabilia, all these toys and everything. It was really, like, just, like, having my own apartment. Yeah. It was <laughs> special. Cool. I mean, obviously, the family connection is just spectacular. I remember when, in the legendary office, they used to run, I think Dallas was out of there, in Blair Rich, who's the head of theatrical at Warner Brothers. I think her father worked out of that legendary office when he was producing Dallas stuff. So, mm. you know, it's led, you know, it's so connected and so amazing, all of the history of that stuff. And But, I mean, obviously, having family is even stronger. You did good wife. You did some great. I mean, you've done a ton of stuff. My parents love you on Scorpion. My, my, I think you tagged me on a Facebook page post once, and my mom's like, "That's, that's that guy from Scorpion. I love that show." I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah, mom. thanks, mom. She, my parents loved that show on CBS. You know, the crazy thing about Scorpion is, uh, I always say that this business is a relationship business. I think it's the same in games as well. Um, Probably in marketing. I mean, yeah. it's 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 a relationship business. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's about understanding that everybody's working in this business as a person. It's a real human being, and everybody has a lot of things that they need to take care of within their own life. And so you've got to do your part so they can do their part, and everybody can be safe and paid and have employment and be taken care of. Yep. And and you know, I know trying to raise people up is so much more important than trying to tear people down or jump over people or, or, and, uh, the reason I even ended up on Scorpion is because a, a good buddy of mine, again, another friend of mine from high school, I think there's six of us out here, four are writers and, uh, one works in marketing he's bounced around and he was an editor for a while. He won a Chloe for the uh, world of Warcraft commercial with mm. Mr. T. Mm-hmm. He edited that commercial and won nice. a Chloe. Like a commercial, yeah, ending, yeah. Uh, or you know, Oscar Clio basically. or whatever it is, yeah, Clio. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm not in that world, man. It's but a Clio, different. yeah, you know. And so, and then it's me, an actor, and uh, one of my buddies from high school, and calls up and he said, "Hey, um, I want to put you on a call with uh, the showrunner. He was in the writers' room over at Scorpion at the time, and uh, he goes, I want to put you on the phone with my my boss because they had a character and they're like." 
Scott Porter-like was like the words. They needed a likable guy who could come in. Well, I'm not saying I'm like likable, but I guess this was the thing. And uh, he goes, why don't you just get Scott Porter? And he's like, yeah, right, whatever. He's like, no, 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 I know Scott. Let me call him. I was in New York doing a Broadway lab for we were trying to get uh, Bull Durham the musical on Broadway. Oh, my God. I was playing Crash Davis, and I was in New York for four weeks. And I get a call from my buddy Matt Davis, and I got on the phone with, with Nick Santoro, and uh, we kind of rapped a little bit, and then I ended up on Scorpion. Yeah. It was like, that was crazy. It's just, it was People like that you know can deliver and trust, and you know, you already had the background, so yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, man. Voice acting in the video game space. Like, you used to open, <laughs> you used to do uh, unboxing of WizKids Hero Clicks. I think you were probably doing that around time, same time I was running Wizards of the Coast, so I was doing Pokemon. My friends left to go over to WizKids to run some of that Justin Zran yeah. and some of those guys who Justin and I did Pokemon together for a long time, and he went over to WizKids. So when I saw you were doing unboxings on that stuff, I'm like, oh, my God. It's so overlapping, which was kind of funny. I still do unboxings for WizKids. Do you really? And again, the relationship space. I was on Friday Night Lights and entered the uh, world championships for Hero Clicks at Wizard World in Philadelphia, and I placed in the top sixteen that year. Okay. And Friday Night Lights broke, and you know they over there were like, "Hey, what? So you're an actor, but you're also playing our game? Like, how can we can we do something together?" I was the like, "Joe yeah, Manganiello of uh, Hero Clicks." Huh? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Joe. I know he's got all the D and D stuff, but. Uh, but I, I kept in contact with them for, for years and years, and they knew I was a, I was a player. And, and I just tried to support them because I loved the game. Yeah. And uh, it actually uh, went completely extinct for a couple of years there. Tops bought it. Mm-hmm. Then they just it went defunct, and then WizKids got themselves, uh, you know, picked themselves up off the mat. And when they did, Justin called. All from all those years before and was like, hey, do you want to, can we do something together? And I was like, man, I would love to. And so I do unboxings. I do a couple a year for oh, them awesome. still. It's something, you know, it's it's just organic. And it's something that I actually really love and I actually really do. And something that I've noticed over time is, is you know, I go to all these game launch parties and I'm a big gamer, but I see these actors who I clearly know have never played a game in their life. And whatever PR firm is like running the event, it's just trying to get eyeballs on it and they're bringing in people who you know don't play the game and then those people are getting interviewed about the game and then the gaming community who can smell bullshit from 10 miles away is like this why are you talking to this person they don't play this game yeah and so i just i've taken that to heart for a very long time like don't get behind something if you're not actually yeah like really involved it's not something you really love to do i need you to come over to my house and look at some of my factory sets that he sends me that i haven't cracked because i didn't play Bro, you need I'd help moving them. Yeah, let's move them. Let's, let's figure I'm out. Joking, that. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, how did I, you? I'll get... teach you how to play. I'll yeah. teach you. I'll teach your boys how to play. Yeah, no, exactly. I do need to. Uh, I was never. I would get. We would trade swag, and I never cracked as many packs as you. So, uh, which is good. How did you get into voice acting? Like, let's. I mean, let's go through the Aquaman for Lego Batman three, Lego DC villains, Robin and Justice two, Peter Quill, Star Lord. Part uh, for Guardians, I think, also Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Lucas for Minecraft, I think. Which one? Oh, Ultimate Alliance, yeah. Oh, it's on your IMDb page. It is? Yeah. When did they announce it? It's on your IMDb page. I'm literally, yes. see, I know nothing. Yes, they announced it. I can talk about it. So I can I talk about it? So yeah. So there's you, that. You want to do that again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you should have, hey, I know this is audio. Y'all should have seen Scott Porter's eyes go, 
No, it says they said 2019 <laughs> on your IMDb page. All right, I'll start over. Are uh, you ready? Yeah. Voice actor. How did you get into this? Let's go through the let's go through the list of things you're doing. Aquaman for Lego Batman three, Lego DC supervillains Robin Injustice two, Peter Quill Star Lord a big one for Guardians uh, for Guardians of Galaxies Telltale game which was must have been fun as well as Marvel Ultimate Alliance three which has just been announced. Lucas for Minecraft Story Mode. By the way, you did that with uh, Mercer, Ashley Johnson, and Brian Posehn, who did our D&D shows. For, we did a big D&D kind of thing. So super I mean, they still have a giant D&D thing. Uh, they still it's a juggernaut. Uh, apparently it is, uh, from what I saw from some of the money coming in. Critical role! It's hot. Uh, my kids are g- coming today are going to want to meet you because you're Harry Osborn in the Spider-Man game. The only game I... Eight-year-old son has finished twice. Oh, so he's seen the cutscene at the end. Then he's done every. He's literally. He's twice. He's finished it. All right, like all, all right. the way through. Yes. Um, and the real big piece, uh, Colt Cruise and Madden, which we'll, we'll we'll dive into because that's my old life. But how did you? Uh, how did you get into the voice acting and how'd you do in gaming? Hustle. Yeah. Uh, Gersh, my agency doesn't have a voiceover department, and I really feel like trying to go out and sell myself to another agent. I felt like what I was doing on television or in film was was enough. Speed Racer, Friday Night Lights, that kind of stuff. I felt like, you know, it was getting me indoors to just get hands-on with games. And I'm a big gamer. I've been a big gamer my whole life. When I was five years old, my dad had a 2600 with that faux wood front. I played Baby Bouncer or whatever this game was called. Where there was a burning building, firemen are throwing babies out the building. You're bouncing them to safety on a trampoline. It's not how it works in the real world, by the way. <laughs> And uh, played games ever since, man. You know, Ice Climber on the Nintendo or, you know, Kung Fu, all that stuff. Come that's to how, get you. They come to get you, Chris. I know. I can hear those alarms. I, I, I think that's how we met was through Xbox, too, because they had you. Yeah. I mean, they and you were talking about people just coming out. Xbox is great at bringing authentic people out. We kind of met. Uh, it was They were doing Extra Life stuff, which really meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Extra Life, if everybody out there doesn't know, is, is a charity where they raise money for the Children's Miracle Network hospitals. And if you jump in and actually do a stream with them, it's like a 24-hour game-a-thon that they could do once a year. You could schedule it yourself, but you can choose what hospital you wanted to go to, which meant a lot to me too because I've, I've contributed over 100K to the Children's Miracle Network Hospital mm-hmm. of Omaha because awesome. of Extra Life. But Microsoft and Extra Life, were they were the first ones to like really get behind it. Microsoft was, was brought me into the lounge and... It was this amazing opportunity, and yeah, man, we met through Xbox and and, and just kept on trucking. And uh, one day, I was uh, I was in the Activision booth, and um, Justin Farron, this guy uh, who is uh, game director, creative director over there, uh, was kind of doing a lot of stuff in the Marvel game space. Marvel and Activision had a deal at the mm-hmm. time, and he was getting ready to do an X Men game, and. He was like, hey, I love you on Friday Night Lights. I was like, hey, I love your games. Big fan of the X-Men. Let's work together. It's just like that easy. Yeah. I was like, why not? If you don't put yourself out there. Sure. You know? And he said, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me send you the breakdown for all 32 characters that were still casting. Send me back something. So I recorded everything onto my iPad and just sent him voice memos on my iPad over to him. And then he said, you know what? I think we're going to go in a different direction. We're, we're going to create three new characters for this game. It was called X-Men Destiny. Ended up being me, Milo Ventimiglia, and Jamie Chung. Hmm. And uh, 
that was my first one. I was like, this is awesome. I didn't think it would happen anymore after that. And then I met the Lego guys and I was like, hey, love your stuff. And they're like, hey, we like your stuff. I was like, let's work together. And it just kept on rolling like that for a yeah. long time. I didn't even have an agent for a while. And then Telltale was the big one. That broke the yeah. dam for me. Wide open. Walking Dead season two. I play one of the leads. His name is Luke. And uh, very close confidant of Clementine, who was the lead in the Walking Dead series the whole way through. And man, that was awesome. We got we won awards, uh, best ensemble, voice cast, and all of these things. And that just broke the dam wide open. I end up doing Cyclops for Marvel, Star Lord for Marvel. I mean, like the, a the really, business came flowing really in, but you also got there. the bug too, right? Like, yeah, man, it's your passion, it's your space. Yeah, it's just you know, I here's the thing, man. I, I tested for Captain America and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I was one of the final four guys mm. for Captain America. Didn't go my way. I didn't do enough. I think that's just you know when it boils down to it. Watching the last Marvel movie was uh, like very cathartic for me because I don't have to watch a role that I failed to win sure. be on screen anymore, being done fantastically by Chris Evans. Sure. But it, it, I love those films, but it hurts every time. Yeah. So, yeah, I let a couple of tears out after that, but uh, I tested for The Flash, uh, and George Miller was going to do a Justice League movie, and I just I was getting close but couldn't book them in real life, but I could be a superhero in a booth, mm-hmm. and that's awesome. And Cyclops in a cartoon, or Scarlet Spider and Ultimate Spider-Man, or White Wolf in the Black Panther cartoon, or... I mean, freaking Star Lord, man. Yeah, that's who so great. Star Lord, man. Like I'm Star Lord. That's fucking cool. And so, yeah, I got the bug, and and I just I just love being able to play different characters and and do things that are challenging. I mean, in the space you love nuts. too, right? Yeah, and it's in the space you love. Yeah, it's not like. You didn't, you know, it's not like I fell into this. It's like you chased it and this is what you wanted. I did. I hustled hard. I hustled, hustled, hustled. And then, and then again, relationships, man. Ben Hall Miller was the left tackle on my high school football team. And him and I never lost touch. We, as a matter of fact, got into, and, uh, and this is, I mean, there's a bunch of us in the business from my high school. And I don't know anybody in my life that is as close with as, as many people from their high school as, as I am with my group of friends. I mean, we've got movie screenwriters, television writers, we've got uh, video game writers, we've got uh, producers like Ben, and he called me up out of the blue and goes, hey, we think we're going to put a story mode into Madden, and we wanted to have a Friday Night's feel, and the first guy that we thought of was you. Would you want to be involved? It's going to be a big chance. We're not even greenlit yet. We need to fly you to Vancouver. We need to shoot uh, three proof-of-concept scenes. And uh, who knows if anything will come of it. And But Ben thought of me. We had kept in touch that long in relationship business, man. And uh, I had met Mike Young through him, who, who dreamt up this crazy concept of doing this story about Afghanistan and a reality television show and two guys who kind of quit football but are going to give the combine one last go and try and get drafted into the NFL. How that's in a Madden game is crazy, but... Yeah, my, Michael and I had worked on it. I think you. I think it debuted in eighteen, and we, he'd been talking about it since, you know, fourteen. Like he, we had been talking about it a long time, and I was, I was working on it from a marketing perspective of how do I bring brands into it, and how do we, you know, how do we, you know, even if it's not, even if I could help with funding on it or bring brands and make it authentic and do all those things. So credit to Michael who just stayed with it, and I mean he he's he'll always be famous for doing a basketball game uh with uh 
that was just a slam dunk, beautiful game that he had made up in uh, up in Vancouver, and then he came down and ran the mat and stuff. Um, and so he was always the basketball game to me. And then, you know, after a year of being there, I'm like, oh, this guy just can do anything. Yeah. Um, so crushed the mat and stuff. He had worked on it forever. So, uh, and then Ben, super good guy. Um, ben we, ran NCAA football for a long time, and I still hit him up every couple of months time. and go, hey. What's going on with NCAA? When I first back, when I first landed down there, my first meeting with him, like I had been there three days, and I'm like, here's what I need. I'm gonna need the horn in the University of Washington Stadium. I'm gonna make (laughs) all the things like it's the dream. Like, okay, you guys have screwed this up. Let me help fix the game for you. What what the problem with NCAA is? There's no horn when you score a touchdown in Washington. So, you you know, like anybody else, you go through your school and fix all that stuff. Yeah, you hear the cannons of UT and everything now. Yeah, you all have to play NCAA 14 still. Uh, yes, which like 15 or whatever it was. It was 14 N- or 15. There's NCAA in this year's game. Have you seen that? Yes. And that's that's the cool thing about Mike Young and his idea and the things that you guys worked on is there is a convergence of film and television and video games that it's been hap- it's been going that direction for a long time. But the thing is, is movies can't figure out how to do games as films. But games are figuring out how to make yeah. films within the context of video games. And that's what we basically did with Longshot. And we did it to the point that some some reviewers, I'd never seen this before, would break our mode, long shot, out of Madden and review it separately from Madden itself. Yeah. And t- tell, uh, tell everybody, to walk people through long shot. It's, tell the story a little bit. So long shot season one is a branching dialogue narrative, a lot like telltale video games, which means that every, every word you say to somebody or every action you take very early in the game, you know, it's about two best friends, Devin Wade. Uh, played by J.R. Lemon and myself playing Colt Cruz. Uh, Mahershala Ali, who had just won an Oscar, is playing J.R.'s father in this. Um, He passes away. These two kids kind of start to fall apart. They were playing football at the University of Texas. Um, Devin Wade quits football completely, and uh, Colt Cruz goes to get him and tell him, let's do this one more time. Let's... And go people to the play through this And story. you play through this as Devin Wade, making decisions, and every decision you make from the time you start to go to try and make it to the NFL, everything you do socially, every word you say to somebody, every person you decide to throw a pass to as opposed to someone else, starts to affect your draft grade. And your goal is to get drafted. But if you play that game as a good person with a big heart and start doing favors for everyone else, you won't get drafted. You've got to do for you just like you... You need to, and you need to find the balance. Mm-hmm. And because Mike wrote all this branching dialogue, and we did a lot like a Telltale game, um, which I had had experience with, uh, which I think I think did you helps. Yeah, did you help? I was going to say, did you help kind of scope the the process of? I of mean, the he recordings? had he had all the bones in place, and he's a great director because he's incredibly collaborative. He is not precious with his material at all. Um, so he was willing to. To, to listen and say, okay, how did, how did we, you know, logistically, how do we deal with this stuff? And we, we hashed it out, man. And Longshot, by all accounts, as far as I know, was critically very well-received. Just as, you know. It, totally. And, it, you know, EA's done it for FIFA now, right? So Alex, you know, Alex came into the FIFA space, and I think, uh, you know, Michael's 
idea kind of drove a lot of that stuff and like the faster you can produce the better and so, yeah and they've got their own little rivalry yeah. fifa and madden definitely go after each other man ultra they get an in-house like brother sister brother brother <laughs> sibling rivalry ultra whatever familiar. man i'm ultra, ultra familiar with that yeah so the they, funny thing yeah. when i was there madden was the, the was the king and so fifa was always cool but we're like we're the king and uh the ceo of uh, ea came out of the studio where fifa is and fifa soccer and fifa and culture have grown and so now fifa is is the big boy and ultimate team was the only thing that we hadn't done right yet mm-hmm. was that cards um and now that's you know that's solved but yeah it's yeah the, it's that, that competitive was, nature mike figured that out for long shot so for people that don't know madden ultimate team is basically a card game within Madden, where you open packs of cards and try to build the best team possible, and you're hoping to get the diamond version of Gronkowski or the diamond version. You know, they have old Hall of Famers in the games, mm-hmm. and Jerry Rice you can find, you can find Barry Sanders, or you can find the modern-day players. If you played through Longshot all the way, you got these gold-level versions of of Devin Wade as a quarterback and Colt Cruz as a receiver, and Colt Cruz is a dominant force as a slot receiver. Did you get the golden spikes? I would see. I didn't. He's not a 99. <laughs> but I would see teams at big tournaments be posting pictures to me, tagging me on, you know, at Scott Porter on Twitter, being like, yo, look at Cole Cruz. And they, you know, they'd have this, you know, vanity shot where they'd go and pause the menus, you know, move the cameras around, and they'll take a shot of, you know, Cole Cruz playing for the Patriots, crossing the goal line, holding the ball out as, you know, winning the game, you know, game winning touchdown with. You know, ten seconds left to go on the clock or something in the Super Bowl. I was like, "This is freaking awesome!" But he he, Mutt is a cash cow. Yeah. You know, Madden Ultimate sure. Team is a cash cow, and so is the football card so, business in general. Right. So they, but they figured out how to totally. how to take this so amazing story element yeah. and put it into the rest of the game, which was which is really cool. So to be in the game, I mean, if you would have told me in '97, you're gonna you're gonna be in Madden one day. I'd be like, holy, holy shit! I'm gonna go through college. I'm gonna be an ace receiver. I'm gonna get drafted, and then I'll get in the game because I'm gonna be a player. Like, I mean, there was no way that was gonna happen. Yeah. But now, as an actor, to have been in the game, yeah. And in the second season, I mean, you know, we had Barry Corbin, Joey King, Rob Schneider came out of nowhere. We had, you know, Ron Cephas Jones, Mahershala Ali. I mean, it's Staying crazy. I'm in it. a game with Mahershala Ali and Dan Marino. Yeah. In the same game. I got a Hall of Famer and an Oscar winner on either side of me. And he must love it. I mean, having won two Oscars now and he's sticking with it because he obviously it's a passion thing for him. He, yeah. he digs it. I mean, that check isn't that check isn't that big. So yeah, good for right? him. Yeah. yeah. So it was uh to be a part of that. But again, it's it's relationships and it's it's the convergence factor. And I kinda saw this going this way a long time ago and, and I'm just hoping that I can Stay up with everybody as we continue to move You'll further work. and further into this video games becoming, you know, a filmic form of expression as well. Yeah, you, you'll work with Michael again. He's going to get out here and write Hollywood stuff at some point. So super talented guy. We got to help him get an agent. Get, yes, sir. Get his stuff read. Let's go. Um, we have some stuff coming up in September. We're doing uh, we're doing some charity stuff. Talk a little bit about uh, charity and 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 what we're doing and what that stuff means to you. Yeah, man. Uh, my wife uh, is gene positive for something called Huntington's disease. Um, my mother-in-law is symptomatic, and they use those words specifically because her mother is, you know, showing symptoms of Huntington's disease, and uh, my wife is not yet. So she's gene positive, though, and eventually she will have all of the symptoms that, you know, there's variances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Huntington's disease is is described as having ALS, Alzheimer's. 
and Parkinson's all rolled into one. It, uh, it affects you at a molecular level. Um, people with Huntington's disease have an extra piece of DNA that the rest of us don't have. And it creates a protein that in too much excess can just completely and, t- and totally tear apart your neurological system. So um, last year we got involved, and you helped in a big way last year. I, I got involved as just a committee member. Um, you know, after our daughter turned one, my wife turned to me and said, okay, you know what? We have our children now. We had them safely using something called PGD-IVF, which is basically a way to test embryos to make sure they don't have a genetic disease. And with Huntington's, any child of a parent with Huntington's uh, is going to have a 50-50 shot of having it. But if none of your children have it, that means it eradicates it from your family tree there going forward. So we did that. We had our children. My my wife wanted to be known as as a mother before anything else, and she didn't want to be known as... That girl with Huntington's who has kids, she wanted to be known as just this amazing mother mother who happens to be gene positive for Huntington's. And she turned to me after my daughter turned one last August and said, let's go. Let's get involved. Uh, you know, Freeze HD is the name of the event. It's a big gala in Los Angeles every September. So within, a, within five weeks' time, I got all this stuff. Mike Young stepped up at EA and sent us an Antonio Brown jersey and a James Harden jersey signed for our silent auction. Um, you got us uh, this Xbox One X with this Game Pass, and then you got me these Xbox shoes. Xbox Xbox um, got it all for you. I just done the delivery mechanism. So. Well, you know. Well, the delivery mechanism is very important. Uh, uh, but these friends and family Xbox One, uh, Air Jordan One mids uh, that are just so freaking cool. Um, so and we, we're doing we it again this year. Off. Yeah. And, and uh, my wife is being honored this year. Uh, we're chairing the event. And it's going to be September 28th, 2019. Uh, we're trying to do this whole thing over again. We made $210,000 last year for the HDSA, the Huntington's Disease Society of America, uh, not only to help with research, but to help families who have Huntington's disease currently in their family. Because the way our country is built, somebody with Huntington's in their family, you can go, absolutely not. You do not get life insurance. You do not get long care turn, uh, long-term care insurance. We are not going to help you at all take care of this deal. It's unfortunate you have Huntington's, but now you're just a zero to us yeah. and uh, we won't touch you. And so Huntington's Disease Society of America makes sure that there's funding there. Um, we set up uh, elite support groups in as many cities as we can and we need more. Um, you know, in all the state of Texas, there's there's one in, in Houston and a smaller group in Dallas and in a state as big as Texas, you know, we need, we need multiple centers, sure. uh, centers for excellence where people can go and, uh, and seek out therapy groups or counseling groups, um, where they can get properly educated, where they can find occupational or physical therapists who are uh, willing to step up and help them, uh, while they're dealing with these symptoms. Speech therapy is a big thing. So the HDSA is going to take this money. We want to make $250,000 this year quarter of a million dollars, I think it's very achievable. The way we do it is uh, we have ticket sales. So if anybody wants to come out and, uh, and hang out with me or hang out with uh, Jamie King or uh, uh, Rachel McAdams or Jason Ritter or any of our other committee members, if anybody wants to come out and, and see an awesome night, we, we're going to have a, uh, to be named later uh, MC and DJ and, yeah. and rock band. Uh, How do people get involved? How you can go to hdsa.org you find Freeze HD. You buy your tickets. They're 150 a piece. It's for an amazing cause. You come, you drink on us, you eat on us all night, you watch a band, you find a DJ, you hang out with really cool people. We have a silent auction um, that's not only in-house, but also you can be bidding on on your phone and all that information is on HDSA. You download an app 
Um, I believe it's GiveSmart, and you can uh, you can bid on these things. So last year, somebody who wasn't at the event won the Xbox shoes for eighteen hundred dollars. They weren't cool. even at the room with us. We send it out immediately. You win these awesome auction items, and then uh, the other the other way to do it is is sponsorships and such. So if there's anybody out there that that believes strongly in this cause and you want to get involved, uh, we'll put your name in lights. We'll put your name on the digital board at the Avalon in Hollywood, which is where the event is being held. And uh, we'll so put you on the site. Brands and industry people that want to donate stuff, come on, reach out. Let's get the silent auction up. What's your share your social so everybody's got? It. I'm at Skittish Kid. That's S K I T T I S H K I D on Instagram, and I'm at just my name at Scott Porter S C O T T P O R T E R on Twitter, and uh, you can find me. And we'll be talking about it more and more as uh, as we get people signed up. We've got a lot of cool things to announce coming up. Yeah, we got a bunch of stuff we're giving you, but everybody, reach out to myself or reach out to Scott, and let's uh, let's get some stuff there and contribute some stuff. Thanks for coming up and doing this, man. It means a lot. I know you're busy down here. I know you got a show uh, that you got to get to, so I uh, I appreciate you doing this. You know what, man? We got millions of friends in this industry. Um, I know you've been around for for years and years and years, but uh, I just appreciate you, man. And uh, you're you're one of those guys that gets it. You know when when we talk, we talk about real stuff. We don't just talk about, hey, what do you got for me today? You know, that's not how this this business should be. And uh, that's why I love games so much. When I come out to E3, it's like the best time of the year, man, because I just see a bunch of people that love what I love, get me as a person, but I only get to see once or twice a year. So I appreciate you having me, man. And, and thanks so much. You're, you're one of the best. So I appreciate that. Next, I'm going to get on your schedule and we're going to sit down and watch Rogue One together and, re- and review it. As, we got to go back to back solo and Rogue One and then we can have a discussion. Sounds fair. All right, man. Thanks, man. <laughs>